Should we record a podcast now? Let's record a podcast. Let's, let's record a podcast. This is the Frogs War Podcast. Hello to all of you Facebook people watching on the Facebook live stream. And if we're live streaming on Facebook, that means we're live recording at the Punchbowl Social. And it is awesome to be back at Punchbowl Social. Uh, hung out here a couple times outside of the podcast. Great food, great drinks, great service, awesome location. Uh, lots of fun things to do. So make your way out to Punchbowl Social. If you get an opportunity, we'd love to see you out for a podcast. But honestly, it's a good time, even when we're not here, as hard as that is to believe. Probably especially when we're not uh, here. Just, we don't but, have to be like that. Uh, come on out to West 7th, 1100 Folk Street, Punchbowl Social. It's their newest location. They've got a couple in other cities. But this is a really cool spot, as Melissa was saying. They've got uh, shuffleboard and ping pong. They've got board games. They've got mini bowling. They've got an arcade. And on top of that ridiculous drinks and, and food yes uh, lots i had of the options. tacos the last time we were out here yeah, I, I brought my family back out here a couple weeks ago uh and that poblano mac and cheese yeah something get, else. it gets after it yeah it gets it after it's it good. it's phenomenal um but as as much as we've been talking about them this is not a punch bowl social podcast this is a tcu sports podcast so melissa we should probably start talking about some tcu sports yeah let's do it uh the frogs hung a 50 bomb yeah. on kansas you know, it's one of those things where you anticipate that happening. You almost expect that to happen when you play Kansas, but it almost never happens when TCU plays Kansas. Yeah, I mean, I think it, it, it was nice to see the Frogs come out and do to Kansas what should be done every year, um, coming off of two things, off of a loss to Kansas a year ago, mm-hmm. and also, of course, coming off the loss to SMU, which is looking less and less worse by the day. Thank ranked. you, 25 ranked, 25th ranked ponies. Yeah, 24th ranked. 24th they are ranked one spot ponies. ahead of Texas A&M. That is really, really crucial information that I should have remembered. So, yeah, yes. I, I mean, it, it was good. It was good to see. I mean, I think what everyone was looking for after that, that week four loss was how does this team respond? There are a lot of young guys on this team, mm-hmm. and we saw what Garrett Wallow said, and TCU did, uh, did a great job putting together that hype video leading up to the Kansas game. And so to see them come out, score on the opening drive, which was significant, yeah. and get two, three and outs to start things. And I don't think they allowed a first down to deep into the second quarter. Uh, that was the kind of response that we needed from TCU, and, and they delivered. Absolutely it is. You know, we uh, – I'll admit I wasn't at the game on Saturday. It's probably the first home game that I've missed in a significant amount of time um, because of some travel woes of mine from Friday night. But uh, watching on TV while laying in bed, wasn't a terrible situation yeah it was 120,000 degrees on the field you're yeah, welcome I got I, uh, you thank you no worries <laughs> I saw like everybody and their parents tweeting pictures of you from the sideline yeah though, so you're yeah, like, it was, you're it like was rough. Facebook famous yeah, now you know whatever 15 that is minutes. but uh, there are some takeaways that I've had I have from this game though that give me hope for TCU but also leave me with a couple of questions sure, fair. Uh, some observations the first one I want to continue the segment that you had on the podcast last week without me uh, called Darius Anderson is a grown ass man. Mm-hmm. And yes, Parker, I said ass man. He was giving me grief on Twitter earlier. As, as he should have. Uh, well, anyways, Darius Anderson is a grown ass man. And this is part three of that segment because he is the first TCU running back with three consecutive 100 plus mm-hmm. rushing yard games since Lanta Hobbs wow. in 2002. We're back to almost my generation. If you had to wager prior to knowing that, would you have said that Aaron Green and B.J. Catalan and all of these other fantastic running Wayman backs James. that have come, Wayman James, since 
Lanta Hobbs from Lanta Hobbs till now, would you have put put money on at least one of them running for a hundred yards? Oh, I, I mean, you would you would have to think thought so that yeah that that would have been something that would have happened before, especially when you consider what the TCU offense was prior to 2014. Mm-hmm. It was a ground and pound. Now most of the time it was also kind of a three headed attack, but sure. but yeah, that's still really really surprising. Almost as surprising. To, as it was to me when I looked in and saw that that's the first time that Darius Anderson has ever run for 100 yards in consecutive games sure. when he did against Purdue and SMU, and now he's done it three times in a row. And um, when Darius Anderson is healthy, this is a completely different football team. We, uh, we're gonna, it, it, it is a completely different football team when Darius Anderson is healthy. We're going to get into some questions here in just a little bit, so please, Facebook folks, make sure that you drop those in the comments. We've got some coming in from Twitter, too. Uh, that we will happily answer in Gladly just a few moments. Gladly get to. Um, there are a couple of pretty funny ones rolling in already. Uh, so make sure you get those questions in. Um, so yes, Darius Anderson, you wrote about it brilliantly over the weekend. Darius Anderson, when healthy, is an absolute game changer. He now has, he only had six carries in the first game against Arkansas Pine Bluff as everyone was getting their feet under them. But in the last three football games, Anderson has... 455 rushing yards and five rushing touchdowns. That seems good. He is currently 13th in the country nationally in yards and tied for 20th nationally in rushing touchdowns, which doesn't sound like over the moon excellent in like national, um, like when you're considering national statistics. But when you think about the fact that he's two rushing touchdowns away from second and he's uh, 200 rushing yards away from second in the country. That's one like big game. By the way, I was looking at these numbers earlier. Do you know who number one is in the country right now? The number one rusher in the nation? I would think it's the guy from Wisconsin. It is not Jonathan Taylor. Jonathan Taylor's not even second. It is our friend to the north, Chubba Hubbard. Not surprising if you watch the game With Saturday night. Almost a thousand rushing yards in four football in four games, games and ten rushing touchdowns. He, he single-handedly he won three, that game against K-State. Three games with over 200 yards rushing yeah, already this he's, season. That's going to be a it's fun madness. one in November. It's madness. But we're not talking about Hubbard. We're talking about Darius Anderson. And I think that if Anderson keeps up at this clip, it will be a tremendous benefit to the entire TCU offense. But more importantly, as we continue to lament um, – the quarterback situation and we'll get into that in a moment there's nothing better for a young quarterback or really any quarterback than a running game that will hit you in the mouth and a defense that will absolutely shut you down yeah well and and I think that that being able to rely on Anderson and you know Shaywo didn't have a huge game Saturday but I think that was more by virtue of he wasn't necessarily needed to, mm-hmm. but but having Anderson who can control the tempo they were able to play fast and still control the tempo slow things down when they needed to because of the run game was so good. But Duggan looks so much more comfortable in a high-tempo offense where he can still go and hand the ball off. And I think every TCU fan across the country breathed a sigh of relief when the first four plays called were running plays, setting up that, Mm -hmm. you know, bad throw, but still great throw into the end zone uh, for the touchdown. So I I think, too, while we're talking about Darius, you know, his his health has been an issue the last two seasons, and so keeping him healthy has got to be priority number one. Mm -hmm. And so what's really been awesome, and and I really enjoyed asking him about this after the game as well, is is not only has he been so great, Shaywo has been really good, 
Um, but seeing what the two true freshmen are doing mm-hmm. and DeMarque Foster and Darwin Barlow, knowing that you can go to those guys and they can eat up chunks of yardage too. Foster's called back, catch and run to the end zone was, was beautiful. a beautiful play. Absolutely beautiful. Yeah, neither one of those guys look like true freshmen on the field. And mm-hmm. so we are all knock on wood, hoping that, that, that Jet stays healthy. They need him to be elite. Yeah. Um, but but it's really exciting to kind of get a glimpse of the future in the fourth quarter and see Barwin, uh, Dar- Barwin, Darwin Barlow and, and Marquay come on the field and, and look like nothing had changed. There was no beat skipped whatsoever. For sure. And let's not minimize either the effort of Amari DeMarcado, yeah. who has been nothing but a grinder ever since he stepped on campus as Juco transfer. And, you know, thinking back to last season, where would we be without yeah. him as Anderson and Shewo both battled injuries in the second half of the season? Uh, and well, he kind of bridged that gap and now is still getting, you know, not overly significant time, but enough time uh, to make a difference. I don't think we would have seen Foster play if DeMicardo had not gone out with an injury. And so hopefully he's okay. But, you know, I wrote about this too in in my piece on Jed is that this is a guy who not only runs the football, but plays on every single special Mm -hmm. team that TCU has. And and Patterson said he's he's one of the most irreplaceable players that they have. So hopefully he's okay. He can get back to playing. Um, He's he's just a really critical guy. He's kind of one of those Swiss Army knives that's willing to do whatever – the team needs him to to win, and, and you got to love a guy like that. You have to. You have to admire those guys who grind and maybe get five to ten snaps a game. Yeah. Because yeah. those are the guys that make your team work. Those yeah. are the guys in practice that are pushing everybody else to be better. Those are the guys who are kind of setting the standard for work ethic. Yeah. Um, it's important. If that's your third string running back, you're in pretty darn good shape. It's very important to have guys like that, absolutely. Uh, the next observation that I had – from this game as I laid in bed trying not to fall asleep. Uh, Jalen Rager is uh, an impact player no matter when he has the ball. And as frustrated as TCU fans have probably been with his lack of uh, involvement in the passing game through four games this season, he is undeniably – he he can turn the game on – a dime as soon as the ball is in his hands and we saw that in the return game yeah it's I mean I think that we've seen the frustration Jalen Rager mm-hmm. has matured so much as yeah. a player and as a person since he arrived at TCU as a mm-hmm. super hyped up four-star prospect and and what we've seen now is that instead of trying to force things to happen he's letting the game come to him and so if that means that he's a decoy and only gets two targets, which is something we need to talk about too. It's in a whole nother conversation, but, mm-hmm. um, or he's waiting in the return game. Like he's going to find a way to make an impact. And Kansas was really, I mean, they're, I don't know if their punter was bad or if he was just trying to kick the worst possible punt to keep the ball away from Rager, but you knew eventually he was going to get an opportunity. And when he did, yeah. um, you know, he certainly made the most of it. And it, it is fun watching that guy go to work. Um, when he when he's making good decisions, when he's finding lanes, when he's getting good blocking, and they're not throwing flags behind him, mm-hmm. uh, he's a threat to score every time the ball's in his hands. And and it was good to see him break loose for that moment, considering how little opportunity he got the rest of the game. It's true, it's true. And as they still work out those kinks, it's going to be important to try and get the ball in his hands yeah. any way possible. Anyway. And we saw that a little bit in the running game, but getting stops defensively and then allowing him to just be a dynamic player in the open field i mean we've seen at every level of football basically the impact that that can have and he is elite when it comes to that so absolutely uh but that was his first punt return touchdown of his career just shocking which is weird to me and we always we've done we did this with turpin we did this with uh punt returners before him not named sky dawson who uh every time they return a punt for a touchdown 
or a kickoff for a touchdown, you're like, gosh, that's got to be like the 10th or 11th time yeah. that he's done that. And you realize when you see, oh, Kevontae Turpin had five yeah. punt return touchdowns in his career. It's a hard like, thing to wow, do. It's an impossible thing to do yeah. almost. Uh, and to have someone who you, you just think anytime he touches the ball, he could house he's it. That's such a gift. But that was 139 total return yards on three punt returns for Rager on Saturday. Earning him co-Big 12 <clears throat> Special Teams Player of the Week. Sure enough. I mean, co? Really? Yeah, like they right. couldn't just say one of them? I mean, I know Baylor's kicker made a game-winning kick, but whatever. It was like a 35-yarder, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah, it was like 28. Oh. We, hate, we don't take those things for granted around here. We might be able to start with Jonathan Song. He, he missed his long attempt of the, of, uh, of the day, which I think in, in Patterson's head is probably as upset as he was. It still justified his decision to not kick it last week. Um, but, yeah, that Song looks like this is his job. Um, yeah. On that note, also really great to see Cole Bunce come out and kick yes. off. So, so for those of you that, that didn't see um, any of the, the writing up about that, Cole is able to kick off, but he has to run off the field. So he's only going to kick off when he can kick the ball out of bounds. So the minute when you saw Song come in and handle that duty for the, after the first two or three, it was because Kansas was returning them mm-hmm. um, or he wasn't getting them out of the end zone. So his job is to literally – if you see Cole Bunce kicking off, his job is to have kicked the ball out of the end zone. Right. If he doesn't do that, he will not play. It's still too dangerous. Come November, he may be fully cleared to participate. Mm-hmm. But he has to kick the ball and run off the field at this point. Yeah. No and, matter what. But he, even just for him to be doing that. Amazing. A month-ish after being yeah. hit by a car. Amazing. Like that's really a gift. Because all of the things that we were hearing out of He was never going to play again. His, his career was probably yeah. over. Uh, at the very least, he was going to miss this season and yeah. have to do some serious recovery work. So Couldn't be happier for the very, kid. Very happy for him. Yeah, good dude. Also very happy to have a consistent kicker in Jonathan Song. Yeah. And I'll tell you something about fans and kickers, because I know that a lot of people wanted Song to try that kick last week against SMU. I was watching the Cowboys game on Sunday Why'd night. Why'd you do that to yourself? So I'm a masochist. But they... If, if you miss that game, they're down two with a minute left. They're driving. Their final play comes from their own 48-yard line. It would have been a 69-yard field goal. Nice. 70-yard field goal. We'll go That's with, nice. We'll go with 69. Nice. Thank you. Um, there were people at the bar where I was, which I was at the downtown Buffalo Bros, downtown Fort Worth oh, Buffalo yeah, Bros. Yeah. Legit. Um, they, the fans in the, in the restaurant were livid that Brett Maher did not get an opportunity to attempt a 70-yard field goal. I would have let Dan Bailey do it. I would have let Dan Bailey do it, too. But I turned to a guy, and I said, are you serious? Yeah. You want him to try and kick a 70-yard field goal? And he goes, well, we know Dak can't throw it into the end zone because he didn't. That he got hit in the face, but that's neither yeah, here nor there. Neither, yeah. But I digress. It's just fans are always going to be weird about kickers. Yeah. Well, and if, if Song had kicked that ball and missed it, they never would have let him live it down either. Oh, no. And then It Patterson, was a no-win situation. Yeah, you know, yeah, and then no Patterson says, well, we should have put the ball in the in offense's hands, blah, blah, blah. Hey, you know what else I'm really happy about? What's with that? With TCU? Hmm. We're using tight ends. What's that again? We have two. That's and they're both just, pretty good. It's not just an innuendo anymore? It is. It is no longer just an innuendo. Uh, Pro Wells is... is a weapon. That kid is a freak. Yeah. He made a one-handed leaping catch in the end zone yeah. that reminded me of just a little, little bit, bit of like a very weighed down to the earth Josh Doxon yes. moment. Yeah. Like he got inches 
whole inches off the ground. But as when he you're 6'4", 230 something pounds, all you need is inches. It's true. It's true. And he brought it down. It was a perfect throw. It was a great throw. Well, mostly perfect throw. Yeah. Um, well, he was the only one that was, was going to get it. Yeah, he was the only one that was going to catch that football. And he went up and got it. And he had three catches. He's got six catches for the year and three receiving touchdowns. He's the only TCU player with more than one receiving touchdown Jeez. so far this year. Yeah. Three. Well, and, and he's shown that he can, he can score a lot of different ways. If you're going to continue to force feed the ball into the end zone on the fade route, throw it to Pro Wells like you did against SMU. Yeah, throw it to the big guy. You can, it you, makes sense. Yeah, you can throw those little check down routes, and he's, he's not Jason Witten. He's not going to just turn around and fall forward. He right. can actually get yards after the catch. We saw him with a really tough catch in traffic mm-hmm. and then go in and drag three or four defenders another four or five yards. Uh, he, he's, he's become a safety net for Max. Mm-hmm. He's a guy who can make plays with his feet. He's agile. He actually, the, the plan for him was to play some wide receiver, and I'm not honestly sure if he lined up outside or not, but because of all the injuries in the receiving core, yeah. he was he was going to potentially line up outside, so he's athletic enough to do that. Um, but what the best thing, in addition to a running game, the best thing you can have for, for a young quarterback is a dude that's going to run a five-yard route and make catches and then turn it into something positive. So seeing him have success and seeing Sonny Cumbie scheme a way to use tight ends, mm-hmm. that's a huge win for TC's offense. It's a massive win. And if, if you consistently feed the ball to Pro Wells and Artavius Lynn and – if you have what you think you have in Dylan Thomas, who has stepped up his yeah, game a significant he's been amount great. now that he's healthy this year, all of that is going to take pressure off of Rager, yeah. who, by the way, still has more receptions than anybody else this yeah. season with 11. Which is so, scary that our leading receiver through four games has 11 receptions. And 117 receiving yards. But Oof, to Valence that's Hunt. That's a game. That's a game the, for him. But look at these numbers, though. To Valence Hunt, seven catches for 132 yards. Dylan Thomas, eight catches for 121 yards. Rager with 11 for 117. Trey Heights, who's missed the last two games with an injury, has eight for 108. Darius Davis has six for 106. Darius Anderson has six for 65. Pro Wells with six for 53 and three touchdowns. So the ball is being spread out tremendously. If some of those guys, specifically to Valence Hunt and Dylan Thomas, along with Pro Wells, can consistently be a threat yeah. in the medium passing game. Things up. Jalen Rager is going to be free, and he's gotten free a couple of times. They yeah, just missed just him missed deep. Him. So all of that stuff's going to gel. I have no, I have no doubt. Well, and you don't have Tay Barber back consistently in the lineup too. Or Mikel Barkley. Yeah, and Barkley is a take the top off the defense kind of guy. So, so you get him in. I mean, I would, yeah. I would like to see them use Jalen Rager differently. I'd like to see them run him inside some. I don't think he needs to just be running fly routes. Like, I do love that he draws three defenders with him when he runs 30 yards down the field. Mm-hmm. But at the same token, like, this is last week was the first game that we saw wide receivers step up and make contested catches with regularity. Yeah. And so, up until that point, that had not been happening. If they're not going to consistently prove they can do that, then get the ball in Rager's hands, whether it's a three yard route or a 13 yard route or a 30 yard route. Yeah. Uh, don't throw him the ball behind the scrimmage. Don't worry, Parker. I read your stuff. Um, <laughs> but, but at the same token, like, don't use him as a decoy if nobody else is stepping up and taking his place. Now, we saw that Hunt had a great game. Yeah. Thomas had a great game. Wells had a great game. If those three guys consistently perform at that level and you get back Barkley or Barber or both, mm-hmm. now you're looking at a scenario where, yeah, send Raker deep, dare them to double or triple team him, and then let those guys pick up chunk yardage underneath. Absolutely. Now, the other thing to consider in the midst of all of this is that they were playing Kansas. Yeah, I Kansas keep forgetting is bad. that. Kansas is very bad. They have given up uh, a significant number of points and yards 
throughout the season, not to the extent that TCU scored on them on Saturday. Um, but that's not anywhere near the best defense that TCU yeah. will see this no. year. They're going to might be seeing it this weekend. It is, however, a very good opportunity to get those guys some confidence moving forward. Yeah, sure. And you can't underestimate momentum and you yeah. can't underestimate confidence. I agree. Uh, especially when they head into a game where they go to Ames this Saturday uh, and it's going to be uh, it's, I mean, it's going to be a heavyweight fight. Yeah. It's, it's, it's good on good with Iowa State's yeah, running defense and sure. TCU's running offense. A couple other things that I noticed, uh, and these are in the uh, down category from Saturday because it wasn't a perfect game by TCU by any stretch of the imagination. Max Duggan only had 11 pass attempts. And I understand that it's a blowout. I understand that you're going to get other guys in the game. But do you think there was a missed opportunity there to really get him some run throwing the football so there are a couple schools of thought here number one the dude went eight for 11 had a couple of touchdowns or one touchdown let him get his confidence back and get him off the field there's that number two um one thing that we knew going into fall camp gary patterson said one thing he was gonna have more involvement was was getting more quarterbacks Mm. in early because he didn't want it to be last year where they went through four guys and none of them looked prepared and so I think keeping Delton in sync and is in the flow of the game is super, super critical for TCU. And I think Patterson saw an opportunity to let Delton get some confidence. And we saw probably two of the best top ten throws of his career Saturday afternoon. So Easily. if he can do Easily. that, like, again, it's Kansas, but this is still a power five program that went and doubled up Boston College on the road. So the, yeah. they're, not, they're not the Kansas of old. So I, I think – I would have liked to have seen Duggan get a couple more series where he did throw the mm-hmm. ball. I, I think at least one or two more series where it, where it was pass-heavy would have been helpful. But I'm not going to question letting him get some good run and getting him off the field while he feels really good about the situation and, and letting Delton get some confidence because, oh, God bless Gary Patterson. After the game, his, his insistence was, I thought Delton looked more comfortable. That was his quote when asked about the quarterback play. Um, he probably does. He's a fifth-year senior. Yeah. But – but Duggan, man, like that throw into the end zone was a dangerous throw. Absolutely, yeah. it was a bad. But it was but a Dylan Thomas went and got it. Yeah, and it was a it was a perfectly yeah. placed ball too, right between two defenders. It was gonna get knocked away, or it was gonna get caught. It was probably not gonna get picked. And Patterson said he shouldn't have thrown that ball. That wasn't the right read. He made the wrong read. So I asked Dylan Thomas about it, and Dylan Thomas kind of with a twinkle in his eye said, "Yeah, it was a it was the wrong throw." But you can tell he was pretty happy that he was trusted by. By the, Duggan to. But, but to we go saw get it. like. Like he can really sling it. The ball to Pro Wells for the second touchdown was great. Um, I think I think that that shows us a little bit more of what he can do. He he took a little off the fastball. Carlos Mendez, great Carlos Mendez, asked him about that if he had more touch, and Patterson said no. But I certainly saw that those look like more catchable balls, and we saw receivers make plays. So to me, something was a little bit more in sync than it was a week ago at the very least. Yeah, and you're not going to get perfect overnight. Yeah. You know, if you if you see incremental change from week to week in a true freshman quarterback, that's virtually all you can ask for. And let's not, it, let's not overestimate what the average true freshman is capable of yeah. either, right? Like not every true freshman is going to be Trevor Lawrence, who mm. in his sophomore year has struggled mm. far more yeah. as the book on him gets bigger and mm-hmm. bigger. Uh, Tua, was, Tua, but also the same five way. stars everywhere. Jalen Hurts is the same way until he went into a quarterback-friendly system yeah. at Oklahoma, and now he's a god, and he's going to win a Heisman. But, you know, you've got all of these true freshmen who fan bases left and right expect them to be Trevor Lawrence or Johnny Manziel. Yeah. And they're just not going to be no. that. TC doesn't recruit those type of guys mm-hmm. either. No, they don't. But what you can hope for is 
a guy who doesn't turn the ball over, mm-hmm. and Duggan has barely done that this year. Barely done that. That was me knocking year. on wood if you heard it. Uh, and consistently gets better week to week. Yeah, and he's done that. And we've seen that from him uh, over the course of these four games. I, I really think Patterson is hedging his bets a little bit. I think that he's not quite ready to anoint Duggan. Mm-hmm. A, because I think he respects Delton too much. I mean, he talked about Delton being a Schneider guy and being a captain, and he was going to be a captain no matter what. You can tell the respect there is high. And so I think he, he doesn't yeah. want to say, oh, yeah, Duggan's mm-hmm. obviously the guy. I think he wants to say, hey, Duggan's doing some things well, but look over here at, at Alex Delton. Isn't he great too? So that's just Gary being Gary, really, which is something just we're going to have to live with. An ornery old man. Yeah. Virtually. That we love. With that all we of our love hearts. desperately. Uh, the, other, the other observation that I had that's maybe a thought for concern is that TCU didn't turn the ball over, uh, didn't force a turnover, yeah. pardon me, from Kansas. Uh, and they only forced one against SMU. They forced a couple against Purdue and their backup quarterback. Uh, but this is a team that has not been forcing turnovers yeah. with regularity so far this year. And as the quality of competition gets better and better and better moving forward, that's going to theoretically become more difficult. Is that something that we as Frog fans should keep an eye on? Well, I think I think turnovers and sacks tend to come in bunches. And yeah. once again, we did not see a sack from a defensive end this weekend. But Ross Blacklock had two, I yeah. think. <laughs> two and a half. That's a monster. Um, he's a monster. So. So I, I think you can't count on turnovers. This, you know, we can't be the Chicago Bears last year, right? Like you can't count right. on 30-something turnovers. And this mm-hmm. is what TCU in 2014, when they were super, super elite, they turned the ball over like, or, or forced like 30-something turnovers. Yeah. That's the difference. Like you got to be a little bit lucky. Mm-hmm. When you're not a blue blood program, you need something to go your way. And in 2014, it was the ball bouncing TCU's way a lot on turnovers. Now, what I did like is that these are really aggressive defensive backs. So with Vernon Scott back in the lineup, there were a lot more PBUs. There were a lot mm-hmm. more. Uh, they mm-hmm. were a lot more aggressive in that regard. And so the opportunity for more interceptions is there. They're just coming just short of being able to haul it in. Um, and so I, I think that that. It would be great if that was happening, but I think yeah. as long as this defense plays true to itself, they don't need turnovers to win as long as the offense isn't turning it over too. Now, if the offense yeah. has one or two, then I think that, that forcing a turnover obviously is going to be a huge difference maker. And I think that in order to beat Iowa State names on Saturday, they're going to need to force Brock Purdy or, or somebody to turn the ball over once or twice to get that win because I don't see – Max going on the road and putting up 30 against that Cyclone defense. It's it's tough to imagine for sure, and ball control and field position will be very important in a game that looks to be pretty low scoring like that. So yeah, I think you're absolutely right. I, I also think, though, that there's something about technique when it comes to forcing mm-hmm. turnovers. Yeah, there's a lot of luck, but if you look at a couple of these other teams um, and the way that they approach a tackle... They are punching and ripping and pulling at the True. ball. And it always seems to me like TCU defenders are not doing that in favor of going for the legs, which yeah. is a more sure tackle, yep. or going for the big hit and just trying to body somebody. Yeah, I think which you're right. I've, I've, historically, I think, has been a complaint of some of the TCU linebackers is that they just try to hit really hard. Yeah. Um, you go back to um, guys like Peanut, too, at the safety position, yeah. and he always was going to lay a big hit on you not necessarily going for the ball to force yeah. a turnover. And we saw that with Garrett Wallow a lot early on in yeah. his career, though I think he's mm-hmm. become a much more sure tackler. Late. I agree, too. But there yeah. were a couple of pretty big whiffs on the, the one play that Puka Williams was able to, to reverse field. Um, there, there were a couple of whiffs there. Ross Blacklock was caught reaching for air at one point. Yeah. And Patterson talked about that, too, how, how they really focused on not letting 
puka shift feels. And so I think you're right. I think it's Patterson playing the safe play that mm-hmm. going to like I my defense is so good. I don't need a turnover to stop a team. You know they're so going to stop them off yeah, their down. So I'm yeah. going to make sure that they wrap up and don't we don't get burned for the big play. And and I I guess that philosophy has worked pretty well for for 20 years. Although for fans and and with an offense, it's been intermittent at best yeah uh getting a turnover too would certainly benefit this tcu team especially on the road against good opponents absolutely would absolutely would so we'll see if that changes but then again tcu's defense has been pretty stout yeah through it's hard to complain of the year but we will anyways because we gotta have something to talk we about do something we gotta do something let's talk about the end of this football game though because uh, and then we'll we'll shift a little bit um because tcu won 51 to 14 uh, it's pretty much everything that you hoped for from a win over Kansas but the final touchdown was a Michael Collins like 11 yard scramble as time expired and I've seen a lot of commentary on Twitter about this which is always a great place to go for yeah, yeah, yeah. logic rational and yeah for sure um but there were kind of it seems like there are two schools of thought about this play uh the first one being oh it was very classless Kansas was already beaten. You should have just taken a knee, blah, blah, blah. Um, and then the other school of thought is, well, Les Miles was calling timeouts in the final minute of the football game. Uh, and so he kind of earned what he got right there. And I know Patterson spoke about this a little bit um, after the game where he said, you know, they were calling timeouts. I said go for the QB sneak and score. So he basically took it upon himself to say, I gave Cumbie the go-ahead, the green light, to do that final no-huddle drive and hurry up offense to get in the end zone one more time. I think there's a third school of thought that's not being vocalized as much. And I think that, um, you know, if you're going to get into a rhythm with some guys who don't have much field time and it's not it's not Michael Collins so much as he had a true freshman running back you were working with mostly a third string offensive line uh, a bunch of wide receivers that had not seen the field that day why not get them in a rhythm and get them going a little bit well and and I think you know when when Patterson talked about that because of course he was asked about it that you know he said it was a run play it was going to be a run play Mm -hmm. I was the one who said call the QB because no one's watching him. That's right. So, okay. so it was. It was very much that they were running the ball, unless Miles was calling timeout. Mm-hmm. But they were going to run the ball. When we asked, um, uh, who was it that we asked about that? Trayvon Merrick about it, and he said, "Oh yeah, I, I knew it. it was. It was Mike. We knew he was going to get in the end zone." <laughs> and so I wonder if it was too a little bit of a, a carrot to a guy that's that's been a great teammate that mm-hmm. suffered through some things. We're going to put you out here and let you run it. Go get a go get persisted a score. And persisted. But, but then yeah. after I was talking with some of the other TCU reporters, and we were I was reminded of an incident that happened when TCU and Les Miles or Gary Patterson and Les Miles last played each other, mm-hmm. and that was the LSU TCU game in uh, at Cowboy Stadium. Yeah. And there was I cannot remember his name. I think his last name was Ford. Maybe mm-hmm. there was a player who had done something really terrible. I think he beat the oh, crap out the of his LSU girlfriend. Oh, running back, yeah. Yeah, and, and they, he played, and Patterson made it clear that like he didn't think it was right that he played, and, and Miles' answer was, we took a team vote. Mm. What do you think the team is going to vote, to play your star running back or not? And so I think Patterson kind of was like, I don't think him and Les Miles exactly are chummy. Like, it's not Art Briles level hate. Yeah. But I don't think they're the best of friends. I think they think they run things a little differently at their programs. And Puka Williams out of half and blah, blah, blah. And so I think Patterson thinks, okay, you're going to call timeout? Well, I'm going to keep playing. And they could have thrown the ball. They didn't. 
Right. They ran the ball, but they didn't, he didn't take response. a knee. And he did say, he was like, y'all have seen me take a knee before in the red zone. You know that, that I'm not that guy. I don't do that. But he called timeout, yeah. and we kept running the ball. And we've also seen you know, the, the fourth-string fullback snap off a 40-yard yep. run as yeah. time expires to yeah. beat someone by 70, you know. So, it, I mean, at, at, salty my, Gary is my favorite Gary. It's the best Gary. It tastes great. But he consistently, like you said, has shown over and over again that he is going to do kind of the humble right, quote-unquote right, yeah. thing. Um, but if you get under his skin, he will not let it go. Nope. He will never let it go. And that's good for TCU fans because we need this team with a chip on their shoulder, and they lost it for a week. It's true. And maybe it's back. Maybe it is, Melissa. Maybe it is. Let's take a quick break, and then when we come back, we're going to talk about things that the athletic director can and can't control and then get into Iowa State. Sounds great. Welcome back to the Frogs of War podcast. I'm Melissa Trebowasser here with Jamie Plunkett. We are live from Punchbowl Social in Fort Worth on Folk Street. 1100 Folk Street. Folk Street. Um, Punchbowl Social, awesome atmosphere, great place. Eat, drink. Uh, they are the official game day hosts for TCU football. So if you're not going to make it out to Iowa State, you can yes. find yourself right here uh, with plenty of other Frog fans. Great happy hour specials if you're wearing purple. And they also have a very special Riff Ram Horn Frog Punch. I tried it a couple weeks ago. I was Pretty out here solid. with some friends. Yeah. Great stuff. So if you, um, if this you is a good wear, place to watch a game. If you wear purple on those days, you get happy hour yes. pricing, which is great because you get happy hour pricing on a Saturday. And also... This upcoming Tuesday, October 1st, Super Frog will be at the what? Fort Worth location. The Super Frog? The Super Frog. The one and the only Super Frog will be at the Fort Worth location from 6 to 7, taking photos, hanging out with people. So come on by on Tuesday. Which is which probably is, today if you're listening to this in the morning on if, your commute yeah, tour. Yeah, if you're listening to this and you're thinking, oh, it's Tuesday at 6 and the day is not Tuesday, it was the previous Tuesday. So sorry about that. But... Tuesday, um, October 1st. Tuesday, October 1st, 6 to 7 p.m. Get out to Punchbowl Social, 1100 Folk Street, and meet Super Frog, get your picture taken with him, all that great stuff, and have some of their really good food. Uh, and it'll still maybe be happy hour at that point, I think. So that'd be kind of yeah. cool to get a good get a good uh, deal yeah. on a drink. J- Jamie and I both hung out here apart from doing the show um, and had great experiences. So it's, it's, a, it's a good place to be. And they take awesome care of us. And so we want to, uh, to make sure you guys check them out. They really do take good, good care of us. They help us exist in a controlled setting yes as we record our yes. podcast and it's great because melissa sometimes there are just things beyond your control oh Dang. gosh you are back you have been gone for a that week was such a good segue there um, are sometimes things beyond your control like i don't know the weather yes when uh major sports conglomerate broadcasting networks decide to broadcast your game mm-hmm. uh, and whether you the paying customer decide to get off your bottom and walk into the stadium and stay the entire time. I am, of course, talking about athletic directors everywhere, but more singularly, the wonderful, the imaginative, the beautiful ADJD, Jeremiah Donati. Because that man has picked up the mantle that uh, every athletic director must pick up, and that is dealing with crazy people on Twitter because everyone that I can see on Twitter over the last several days is complaining about the attendance at the Kansas game, which was bad. There's no way around it. It was a poor showing. The students all bailed. The fans all bailed. 
it was like 130 degrees on the field. Mm-hmm. I cannot blame them. I was laying in bed. So, like, I have no leg to stand on when it comes to criticizing fans this game. Believe me, I will later in the season. Um, but the reality is, is, like, Jeremiah Donati does not control those things. Yelling at him about those things on Twitter or in an email is totally inappropriate and irresponsible. Yeah. You know, I think that, that we saw this a lot with Christel Conte, and we're seeing it even more now that he's at Texas. But at the end of the day, um, we're adults here. Yep. Handle your own business. Let people handle theirs. Um, I will be much more concerned if we see these same issues with our last three home games. We only have three left, folks, which is crazy. But yes. they are Texas, Baylor, and then the West Virginia game on Black Friday could be a rough one because West Virginia looks bad. Very bad but at football. But TC, who knows? Like at this point, TCU's one and zero in the Big Twelve, and they could actually be playing for something legitimate true, that day. True, true. So I, I think I think the key is is that you know I, I thought Deanna wrote a really great piece she about did. just did. for fan empowerment and and fans being a part of it and and. I you cannot control the weather. There should not be day games in September in Texas. Period. But there, there are, and that's the way that it works. Yeah. There never so used to be. part of joining the Big Twelve is having access to big um, uh, networks. But part of joining big networks means is not having control over your start times. And TCU played at two thirty against SMU. They played at 11 a.m. against Kansas. It'll be 11 a.m. at Ames. I am so mad about that, but that's another topic. Um, but at the end of the day, like, if you buy tickets, go to the game. If you can't go to the game, then give them to other TCU fans or get them to the community. Or if mm-hmm. you have to leave early because of the heat, then that's okay. If you leave early to yeah. go to your tailgate and drink, then get bigger boots. But here's the thing, because fans against SMU, like the SMU game, complained because they said they left at halftime because TCU was playing so poorly. Yeah. I get it. You're upset. Sure. You paid money for this. Walk away if you need to walk away. Fans against Kansas were complaining because TCU was winning by too much. Yeah. And I just want to know what's like the yeah, sweet what spot. Want? What's the sweet spot yeah. for staying for an entire football game? Because if you're like down two touchdowns that's not okay so minus 14 is kind of maybe the back end of that spectrum and then they were up what 38 to nothing at halftime against kansas so that's too much to hang around so are we saying like it better be you know frogs within a field goal or up by no more than 10 points like is that the sweet spot for people hanging around for the 20 minute interval between the first and second half well, I, I think the other thing that we have to keep in mind, too, is that before TCU was TCU's team, it was the Metroplex's second team. Before True. we joined the Big 12, most of the season tickets were purchased by Aggies and Longhorns and Sooners and Pokes and Red Raiders because they could get cheap tickets. They could watch college football every week, and every five years their team would come to play. And people that weren't able to travel to watch their home teams adopted TCU as their second team. Well, that's all well and good until you – join the Big 12, and now you're playing those teams every season. Mm-hmm. And so a lot of these opposing fans we, we see are season ticket holders at TCU and have been for years. And a lot of the people with money, quote unquote, that everyone always wants to complain about have enabled TCU football to build this program into what it is. Yep. Does it suck when the on October 26th the club seats are going to be all burnt orange? Sure, it does. But that's just the it's way that bad. it goes. Does it suck when all of those club people are in the club and not sitting in their seats and it looks bad on TV at noon against Kansas? Sure, it sucks. But at the end of the day, like, there's always a give and take. And so do we want to be a big-time program? Do we want to have the big donors and the big money? Then you're going to lose 
people in visible seats? Or do you want to be Tarleton State? And ha- or Hang or, on now. <laughs> hang on now. I just brought them Tarleton up. State. Tar- Tarleton State, all of their other sports that are non-football sports are joining the WAC next year. They're going to be D1. Is that the gateway to Tarleton State being Division One? And could then happen. one day you could very well. You could very well words, be those. I could. Melissa. But you know, I think I think what people see is they compare themselves to a lot of the other Big Twelve schools. And what you have to remember, and, and again, I'm not throwing shade at any of these college towns, but in Ames, there's no pro sports. There is nothing else to do. That's why they sell out women's basketball. In Stillwater, there is nothing else to do. In Norman, you have uh, like 50,000 students and you don't have a whole lot else to do during football it's season. True. In Austin, you have 50,000 students and a bunch of people that like being associated with the University of Texas. In mm-hmm. Waco, anyways, so there's just- Moving the, along. Yeah, in Manhattan, there's nothing else to do. So, so what has happened is that these college towns with these big populations have taken advantage of being the only gig in town. TCU has a ton of competition and a very, very small population. I'm not excusing it, I'm just saying like, that's the way it goes when you're yeah. TCU. So let's, I, I would, I mean, I would say October should be beautiful. November should be beautiful. Go to the game, show up, stay, be loud, root for your team. But if it doesn't happen, that's okay too. And just know, too, folks, that Kenny Kane was in Ugh, our mentions Kenny again Kane. this week. I love that guy to I death. I love Kenny Former Except, TCU football player. But he coaches at Trinity Valley now, and that's a rival of the Oak okay. School. Well, so, I love him sorry, unabashedly while Melissa is reserved in her love for him. But um, he replied to your tweet from the postgame about Patterson saying, you know, the people that show up are the people that we want and then everybody else, like, you know, kind of deuces yeah. Yeah. Uh, with his, you know, coined phrase of bleed, bleed purple, purple or bleed, bleed out. out. Yeah. Well, so and, and just I remember, did, Kenny Kane is watching yeah, everything yeah. you do and that in and of itself should be enough to strike fear in you. To, I'm, I'm to scared just to time. stand across the sideline against him, you know, so. Right. But I love, love me some Kenny Kane. But, yeah, I mean, like, look, if you can go to the game, go to the game. It's fun. It's true. They sell beer. All right, let's move on, though, Melissa. Let's talk about Iowa State because CCU does have a yeah, football game coming it. up this Saturday. I'm not sure what Iowa State is as a football team right now, but I know that they're 2-2 two and two with wins over Northern Iowa, a triple overtime win over Northern Iowa, and a win over Louisiana Monroe and heartbreaking losses to Iowa and Baylor. The Iowa loss is probably one that's going to just sit with them for a a very long time. Botching a punt return down one with two minutes left in the game. Something like that, And no timeouts left. Uh, That one's going to stick for a while. And then obviously giving up a game-winning field goal to Baylor in the final minute and a half. That one's that one's tough too. So, what I have observed from Iowa State over the f- course of four games is uh, a very inconsistent offense and a pretty stout defense. But before we get into all of that, should Iowa State fans be concerned about the state of their program through the rest of 2019? No, no? I don't think so. I, I think you've got a great coach. I think you have a, a really talented quarterback who's gone through a sophomore slump and lost one of the best players in college football last year mm-hmm. and David Montgomery and one of the scariest wide receivers in college football. And, and <clears throat> there's just going to be an adjustment period. You know, the, the UNI game was, was certainly concerning, but mm-hmm. I, I think that we, we saw, we've seen this with TCU. 
right? Yeah. Like, like Gary always says, it's a lot harder to prove them right than it is to prove them wrong. Sure. And for the first time in probably forever, the Cyclones came into the season with expectations. And you've got a, a, a bunch of kids who came there believing they could build something, but never expected to do it so quickly. And, and so there's going to be some growing pains. Um, I think what we are going to see on Saturday is one of these teams, one of these young teams figuring it out. Yeah. And, and whether it's Iowa State kind of pulling it together and being like, oh, it all clicks, or hopefully it's TCU saying we're building off of this momentum and ready to go out and be dominant. But if I'm Iowa State, as long as Matt Campbell is my head coach, mm-hmm. that dude knows how to build a program. Yeah. Like, I will never forget the way that I felt when he stared at me from 100 yards away at, at AD&D Stadium on Big 12 Media Days when I asked him a question because he's this, the intensity of his eye contact is really something else. Um, but, but he he's, Do you need to take a minute? I do. Are you good? It's really, really special. <laughs> but he, he is invested. One of my coworkers, who's an Aggie, so take his opinion for what you will, but he asked me today, how long do you think he's going to be there? And I was like, I don't like. Until they fire Jimbo and try to money with him in a yeah, right? college station? No, I mean, I think that Matt Campbell loves Iowa State. And I'm not saying he's going to be there forever, but I think right. he's really, really happy to be at a program where he's the best gig in town. He's, for, he's appreciated there in a way that he would not be appreciated Never be anywhere places. else. So I, this, this is probably not the arrival season that Iowa State fans were hoping it would be, but it doesn't mean that this can't be a really, really great year for a team that, that is still more than, well, I don't know, Oklahoma State looks pretty dang good, but still going to finish in the top four or five of the Big 12 um, and, and have a chance to be competing for a spot in the Big 12 title game late into the season. Yeah. I, if any coach can turn it around, it's him. I like him. I like Iowa State. I have a hard time, you know, talking bad about Iowa yeah. State. I don't root against Iowa them, State, but one Saturday unquote, a year, yeah. Eight week. Um, but, you know, it's it's time to get into why Iowa State is bad, Yeah, Melissa. And Iowa State is bad because, as you mentioned, they no longer have David Montgomery playing football for them. He plays for the Chicago Bears now and does it fairly well uh, for the Chicago Bears as a rookie in the NFL. And because of that, their running game is pretty much a disaster. Yeah, it's been bad. At this point. Uh, Brock Purdy is their leading rusher. He has the most carries of anyone on their team. Um, They have three other guys who have gotten touches virtually sparingly through these first four games. Um, I think, you know, Purdy led the team in rushing again against Baylor, and a couple other guys had six or seven carries to their name. I mean, it's they're averaging like two yards a carry. This is a very one-dimensional offense yeah. right now. Brock Purdy, on the other hand, has, has continued to play incredibly well. He's completing nearly 70% of his passes this year, which means that he's completing 69% of his passes this year. Um, he threw... Uh, for uh, 342 yards and two touchdowns against Baylor. Like, that loss isn't on the quarterback, Um, even though he only completed 60% of his passes in that game, and that's by far the best team that they've played this year because I think Baylor's better than Iowa, but that's just me. Um, And the reality of the situation is, though, for Iowa State's offense – is that without David Montgomery, everybody is keying on Brock Purdy now. Yeah. And they need a playmaker in the backfield to take some of the pressure off of him. And when you have a defense like TCU's, which feasts on stopping the run, 
thrives on stopping the run. And you can say to D. Winters and like Hendrick Van Zant and Garrett Wallow, focus on the quarterback because he's their main runner. Yeah. That's a problem. Yeah, for, for sure. Iowa State's offense. On the other side of things, Iowa State's defense is by far the best defense that TCU will have seen to this point in the season. Yeah. There's not even a question. Uh, would you be surprised, though, if I told you that SMU's defense was the best that TCU has seen yeah. to this point? Yeah. Weird, right? But Their schedule was, had been a little different, too, up to that bit, point. Yeah. A little bit. Uh, but Iowa State's defense is the best that TCU has seen to this point. A- opponents average less than 22 points a game, right around three touchdowns a game, or 21 points. They've only allowed nine touchdowns this season. Mm-hmm. To put that into context, TCU has only allowed nine touchdowns this season as well. Um, And their rush defense is their strength. We mentioned this a couple minutes ago, that it's going to be good on good this Saturday in Ames. But Iowa State only allows 115 rushing yards per game on on the ground this season. And when you're talking about a TCU offense that is so reliant on an efficient running game, that's the matchup, I think, to watch is how can TCU open up running lanes for Darius Anderson yeah. against a good run defense, who will probably, because of the way that the quarterbacks have played to this point for TCU, be somewhat disrespectful for in the sure. way that they line up. They should. Yeah, I would be throwing eight dudes in the box all day long. I'd be like the Zeke defense for the Cowboys until that right. got it going. Um, I mean, at the end of the day, when TCU has looked their best offensively, it's been on those games where they've rushed for 300 yards. Mm-hmm. And, and Iowa State's not going to let that happen. There's no way that, that TCU runs for 300 yards Saturday. And so it becomes now, do you, do you have to let it loose with Max Duggan? And what can he do when he gets that opportunity? Or do you trust Alex Delton to, to run some RPOs and, and see if he can throw the ball like he did last week? Right. Um, you know, I, I think that, that this is the game where you have to figure out how to get Jalen Rager involved. Absolutely. Whether whether that's on some jets. Like, if, if you're stacking the box and you've got to do some creative stuff to get the ball. We saw that really nice double reverse um, against Kansas that, that went for a decent game. Things like that. Just getting the defense off balance. Getting them move. There's going to be a lot of movement, I would imagine, mm-hmm. for the TCU offense before the snap. Uh, you're you're going to see Darius Davis get touches. You see Rager get touches. Hopefully Tay Barber is back and he gets touches. But really, what it's going to come down is how we saw Sonny coming improve this week in his play calling. Mm-hmm. What does he do to to get the ball in his playmakers' hands when when they're so geared up to stop the run? And and can we run some shorter routes that let Max stay in a rhythm and and get the ball out of his hands quickly? That's the thing too is that you know after the SMU game we saw a couple of those drives in the second half where Duggan looked like he was really finally getting into a rhythm. They were doing up-tempo offense, running quick outs and, and, and screens and all of those things. They got the ball out of his hand quickly. And after the game, Cumbie said that that was to keep him from thinking too much. Yeah. And then in, a week later against Kansas, it's almost like they reverted back to all of the things that put Max in a position to, to struggle, where he was making his reads, he was progressing. It was a slower-moving offense. You know, I would really love to see some tempo. Yeah, from this team I think on that's Saturday. what you have to do. Well, and, and you know what this game is reminding me of mm-hmm. now that you say that is when the Frogs went into to Stillwater a couple of years ago and they had been running that slow, grinded out offense yeah. and been really successful in it. And then they go up to Stillwater and everything is tempo, tempo, tempo. Mm-hmm. And and I think that that, that was kind of Kenny Hill's breakout game. That was Darius Anderson's breakout game. He had like 167 rushing yards. And three yeah, and, and it was because the defense never really got set. And so maybe they've been, I mean, 
maybe they assumed they could cruise through these first four weeks before they really opened things up. And Iowa State was kind of the game they were planning to, to right. really change things up. I mean, if that's what happens, I'm, I'm here for it, for sure. Hey, I'm here for it too. The question though is, how will the weather impact this game? Because the Don't tell me it's going to be bad. <laughs> the forecast, I don't know if you saw this line in the run sheet, the projected high of 60 degrees Ooh. with a 50 to 60% chance of rain. Oh. Who does that benefit? TCU. You think so? With their running game? I, I think weather always benefits a defense. These are, de- these are two really good defenses. It's two really good defenses. I would give TCU's running game the edge over Iowa State's yeah, running game. for sure. I would absolutely give Iowa State's passing game the advantage over TCU's passing game. Yeah, right 100%. So by that logic, if defenses are impacted to the good when weather is occurring and you'd think, all right, well, passing games are going to be more negatively impacted, then, yeah, it does look like TCU has the slight advantage, but also – if both of these teams are one-dimensional and trying to run the football against two very good run defenses, are we looking at like a nine to six? Oh, for final? sure. Here, here's another thing you haven't mentioned though. What's Do you that? know who played high school football in Iowa? That would be Max Duggan. So this is a kid going home. Yeah. Nobody's been talking about that yet. It's true. And, and he's like, look, he's going to be the starter Saturday morning. Mm-hmm. He is for sure. Um, but if the weather's really, really sloppy, he's going to have seen that before. But if it's really sloppy, I fully expect to see a lot of Alex Delton. I don't want that. I, I don't want that at all, honestly. Um, I would rather just run the Shaywell cat. Or the Rager cat. Install the triple option really quick and do something else other than that. Yeah. Um, a couple of keys, though, I think for TCU in this game, Melissa, we talked about it earlier they have to be uh, multi-dimensional I, this is strength on strength it's Iowa's run defense against TCU's run offense with with uh, Darius Anderson and Shaywo and these two incredible freshmen but Max has to be involved early yeah I think regardless of the weather you have to get him involved you have to get him to the guys that he's clearly comfortable with which is pro wells at yeah. this point so you need pro wells involved early which I think will give Iowa State some problems and maybe that opens up the long ball a little bit more I think that you have to pressure and contain Brock Purdy because he has proven to this point that he is dynamic in the passing game and in the running game. And if he's not going to tear you up through the air, he can absolutely do it with his legs. So I would not be shocked to see some really um, some new stuff from Gary Patterson and his defense, yeah. especially from the linebackers and the, and the safeties in this game. Just You're going to see a lot of blitz confuse, confuse Brock Purdy a little bit. And I also think that it's going to – be important to force a turnover yeah. or two because what all of that is going to do is it's going to take the life out of that stadium and like you mentioned earlier that's all that Ames has is Iowa State football and basketball and whatever else but they're the entire town is going to be there on Saturday and they're going to be loud yeah. and they're going to have like 19 bush beers ro- rolling through God, each of their stomachs wait. and they're going to be it's they're going to be super into it right it's not like it's going to be 110 degrees no. in the stadium and they all want to leave at halftime. They're going to be there. They're going to be present for the duration. They're going to be drunk as heck. So they're going to be loud. And anything that you can do to take them out of their uh, emotion and stifle them a little bit from a fan perspective will Huge. benefit your team 
going into that kind of environment on the road. Yeah, and well, and, and that's where, like, as frustrating as it is to have this be an 11 a.m. game, 11 a.m. and rainy is probably the best-case scenario for taking the crowd out of it. It's true. So, I mean, that, that, I guess that's a bonus. And they'll only have had time to get, you know, 14 or 15 bush lights in them instead of the 24 that most of them plan to consume. I don't know. I think there are lots open an hour earlier than ours, though. Yeah. I mean, I'll, I'll be out. We're, we're, never, we're driving in, so. Never underestimate an Iowan's ability to drink this. Oh, uh, Levi. Shouts Never. to you, buddy. Shout out to Levi. Melissa, let's take another quick break, and then we will get into some uh, predictions and then also a really cool story from an Iowa State fan that I think we should touch on. All right, we are back. We are here live at Punch Bowl Social, a wonderful, wonderful partner of ours here at Frogs of War. We are so thankful for them and their hospitality towards us. And if you come, listeners of this podcast, I guarantee you, you will experience that same level yes, of hospitality. Yes, 100%. They are fantastic. They are loving. I'll tell you this story. It's a little anecdote. The last time I was here, uh, my wife Skylar and I brought the boys. We were meeting a couple other folks here. And as soon as we walked in the door, one of the managers walked up to us. And I have a five-and-a-half-year-old. And she walked right up to him. And she said, hey, uh, I hope that you're here to have a, a good time. Uh, do you want to go pick out a game with me? And he was like, absolutely, I do. And so she just took him by the hand, and the three of us walked over to their little uh, game closet thing that, where you can check out games, and she took him in there and like picked him up and said, which one do you want? Have you ever played Candyland? Have you ever played Bananagrams? Have you ever done? And he was in heaven, and he got to pick out a game, and he brought it back to the table. We played it while we waited for our food. They doted on us the entire time, and that's not just because like it's a Frogs of War person. I watched around the, the restaurant, and every single person that walked in the door got that level of That's care. Cool. It's awesome. It's like a totally different experience than you've ever had at yeah. a restaurant before. They're great. It's so stinking cool. It's so stinking cool. So make sure that you get out to Punchbowl Social because it's a really, really stinking cool place. Really good people. All right, Melissa, before we get into predictions, I want to talk about this story because it's been sweeping the nation. A kid named Carson King. <sighs> This, is, this has Iowa had me State up fan. and down in my emotions this It's week. been a roller coaster. Carson King, Iowa State fan, who, when game day was in Iowa State for the Iowa-Iowa State game, held up a sign, as many a person does, and it said, Bush Light Supply needs replenishing, and it had his Venmo account. Brilliant stroke of genius, and he started to raise a couple bucks, a couple hundred bucks, a couple thousand bucks, and he thought to himself in the midst of all of this, I should probably do something other than buy Bush Light with this money. And so he announced that he was going to give it to the University of Iowa Stead Family Children's Hospital in Iowa City, which if you don't know that story, is the hospital right next to the University of Iowa's football stadium, where during between the third and fourth quarter of every single game, all of the fans Heart. turn around to the hospital and wave at all of the children in that hospital who are watching the game from their windows. It's a like goosebumps level, yeah. teary-eyed level emotional moment. And so this Iowa State fan says, I'm gonna give all of this money and I'm going to do this really cool thing. So keep giving me money in my Venmo and I will give at the end of a certain amount of time, all of this money to this children's hospital. Bush Light gets wind of it, says that they're gonna match it. A couple other places get wind of it, say that they're going to match it. And the dollars just absolutely keep rolling and rolling and rolling and rolling and rolling in. And it's a really cool thing. 
And I'm fairly certain I saw the other day that he broke $2 million. Yeah. And Bush Light is going to match $2 million. And there was another company, too, that's going to match $2 million. So that's $6 million to this children's hospital in Iowa that's doing some incredible work uh, and taking incredible care of these young people who are sick. And then it came out about a week ago, a little over a week ago now, that he tweeted some really awful things when he was 16 years old. Um, And I'm going to get on a soapbox here for just like 30 seconds and say that as someone who works with young people all of the time, I have witnessed them be some of the most brilliant people and then 12 seconds later be some of the most dumb people Mm -hmm. that I have ever encountered. And for Carson King, who has expressed nothing but remorse and done so in a tactful way that we have not seen from other people who have tweeted awful things. Um, we have seen him just get absolutely trashed by this. Bush Light has, uh, Anheuser-Busch has severed all ties with him, even though they said they were gonna con- make their contribution. Um, and he's just, his name has been run through the mud. And I just think it's so interesting that a guy who, um, said some really, really awful things when he was 16 year old, years old, and that was like eight years ago, uh, did this really great thing, and now it's almost been canceled out completely because of Twitter. Well, you know, I, I think that the, the Iowa community has really rallied around him, both the Iowa fans and the Iowa State fans, and said that, like, this guy should not be vilified for the mistakes of his youth, and I, too, work with young people, mm-hmm. um, so I, too, have very uh, big opinions on this. Um, the thing that, that I really took from this is that um, I feel like so many kids are seeking their 15 minutes of fame. I cannot tell you how many times a day I'm approached by a student that's like, oh, I'm trying to go viral on TikTok. And right. I think that one of the lessons to learn is that um, we all, and, and this, this goes back to even your Donati tweet soapbox, right? Is it, yeah. We all want to be known. Everybody wants to be known, but there's always consequences with that too. And you have to be aware of, of what you're doing all of the time, especially when you're young. And we aren't doing enough to educate our young people on how this can follow you. You can, Carson King was nobody until he was somebody. Mm-hmm. And now he's gonna be nobody again, unfortunately, despite the fact that he did something really, really great for people. Um, 16 year olds are, like you said, some of the most brilliant, some of the most idiotic people on the planet. Um, and, and, and I love working with them. And these, these types of lessons, I think, can carry a lot of weight. And, and if you're a parent of a teenager, talk to your kids about this stuff. That'd be my soapbox. Know that they're on social media. Know they're doing dumb stuff on social media. And don't be afraid to talk to them about it. Because at the end of the day, um, you never know when your moment's going to come. And and I hate that there are reporters that that go back eight years in somebody's Twitter. But they're trying to get their name out there, too. Yeah. It's a a bummer when stuff like that is... uh, when, When stuff like that impacts negatively a really cool story. Now, I'm not saying also that we should just ignore the things no. that people say. Also, that's don't untrue. be racist. Yeah, like just don't be racist. Like it's a super it's easy way yeah. to like not have or sexist or homophobic or anything else. Yeah, just don't place. be terrible. Like just don't do that. But if you go back into your old tweets and you see, oh my God, I've said some pretty racist things. These are probably going to come out soon. Respond the way that Carson King did, which is to say, I screwed up. He didn't even say, like, I was young, I, you know, anything like that. He just said, I screwed up, I own it, and yeah. here I am trying to be a better person today. Yeah. 
Well, and also so just let's, never let's tweet. Sure that we do that. Just never ever tweet. Also that. Just get off Twitter. Delete the app. <laughs> it's fine. <laughs> Unless you're interacting with us, in which case stay. Just text us. Text I'm Melissa. not. I'm not Her giving out my number. Is, yeah, I'm not giving. Okay. All right, Melissa. Let's get into some predictions. Let's do it. Shall we? Shall we? Shall. Big Twelve games this week. You have number six Oklahoma looking like a behemoth. Bye bye. Traveling to Lawrence. See ya. I know that it's an uphill battle for Les Miles. I know that in his first year he can't possibly hope to resurrect what has been arguably the worst Power Five program in the country. Fair. Fair. Second worst program in the country for a long time. Um, But TCU scored 51. How many points does Oklahoma score? 70 plus. At least, right? Yeah. And they they allow like 17. It's going to be like... in Lawrence. So... They lost to West Virginia and Lawrence and West Virginia. By yeah. By five. Yeah. It's bad. I don't know. Yeah. Oklahoma's going to win that game. They're going to win it very big. Oklahoma State, number 21, Oklahoma State. They're four and one. Is this team good? They might be with a freshman I don't know. quarterback. Mind you. But they travel to Lubbock to face backup quarterback Jet Duffy and Matt Wells' football program where everyone in Lubbock is already asking questions about why yeah. did they even hire him in the first place? Why did they not hire Dana? I've seen uh, a lot of that. Twitter, you know, cesspool that it is. Folks have already asked for Kirby Hocutt's resignation or that he be fired because he hired Matt Wells. I don't know if tech fans remember this, but the basketball coach that Hocutt just hired took your team to the literal NCAA championship. Literal. Earlier actual. this season. Yeah. It's true. Now, one hire doesn't absolve an athletic director of other mistakes, but Jesus, like, cut the guy a break. And it's been four games with Matt Wells. Well, and here's the the other thing, too, is it's not like um, uh, uh, Cliff left a full cupboard there talent-wise, especially on the defensive side of the ball. Yeah, and so they got to give him some time. It's going to take him three or four recruiting cycles to build the type of program he wants to have, both both from a physicality standpoint and from a – character standpoint and so you got to give the guys some time they're really really bad I'm still not a huge believer in Oklahoma State I watched most of that game against K-State on Saturday night there are a lot of flaws with that team mm-hmm. but we'll say is their defense looked much much better and Chubba Hubbard's one of the best probably five backs in the country and it's so um, they can win a lot of ball games but there are ways to expose them it's just not going to happen on Saturday it's not going to happen on Saturday at all. Not even close. Oklahoma State's going to roll, 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 roll. Because not only is Texas Tech's offense not great right now, their defense is so not bad. great right now. So and bad. And that's a combination for yeah. losing a lot of football games. Especially to a team like OSU. Absolutely. Speaking of losing a lot of Oof. football games, West Oof. Virginia hosts number 11 Texas on Saturday. Texas is ranked 11th in the country despite having a loss on their ledger mm. already. Um Give me your prediction. I think uh, I know Texas it. rolls easy. Yeah. Like they're going to start a little bit slow um, against West Virginia, I think, but they come out and it's, they're going to win this game probably like 40 something to like three. West Virginia just looks so un- sadly inept against anything other than Kansas. I thought their win, speaking of West Virginia, I thought their win over NC State was something like cool and, yeah. oh, maybe they are really figuring it yeah. out. Uh, and then I noticed this fun fact that uh, NC State this week. Played a football game on Saturday, and they lost said football game to, if I can get to it quickly, I'm vamping, it's not working, 
I'm vamping still, still vamping, still vamping. They lost to Florida State. Oh, 31 to 13. That's bad. 31 to 13. This is a Florida State team that's three and two now, but lost to Virginia and Boise State. So transitive losses to Virginia and Boise State. Uh, North Carolina is not good at football. No, they're very bad. I, they have I think, yet to beat a Power Five team this year, five games in. Yeah, yeah, it's it, things are not looking great for the Wolfpack. Things Give are not looking great for West Virginia. Give me the Longhorns. Give me the Longhorns. Big. Here, here's peace. an interesting game for our, Just our keep last country roads. Last non-TCU game of the slate. Yeah. I have no idea what Baylor is right now. I just know they just signed Matt Rule to a really long contract extension that there's absolutely zero way he sees the end of. This is probably true. The NFL overtures have been there pretty much since he stepped on campus in Waco. I think that Baylor is pointing up as far as their trajectory is concerned. I also, you know, Kansas State kind of got rolled by Oklahoma State, even though the score wouldn't indicate that on first glance. And there was a lot of weird Um, weather stuff. It was a weird game. It was a weird, weird game. Baylor's offense, I don't think, travels very well yet. Hmm. And against a team like Kansas State, who has a pretty solid defense, and Skylar Thompson's not the worst quarterback in the world. No. He, can, he can do some things with the football. I wonder if Kansas State doesn't have just enough to, to win that football game. We're, we're going to learn a lot about this Baylor team and where they are as a program under Matt Rule by how they play on Saturday because this team is livid that they're not ranked. Their fans believe they should be ranked. Their coach believes they should be ranked. Their players believe they should be ranked, and they are not ranked despite being undefeated. If they go up and win at Kansas State, they're probably ranked Monday unless TCU is. So I, Kansas State should be better coming off of that loss. Or they're back at home. They should win this game. But if Baylor can go in and eke out a win, then you're looking at a 5-0 and Bears team that's going to be in the top 25 and all of a sudden is going to be looking at like a contender for the Big 12 championship game. And Until they play Oklahoma. Yeah. It gets worse for them. But these are the games they absolutely have to win if they want to consider themselves a legit program and if they want to get into a bowl game. Yeah, it's, it's not the cheese bowl. It's true. And, you know, the, I mean, Baylor un, undoubtedly is going to make a bowl game this year. They're undoubtedly a better team than they were three years sure. ago. When or a year ago, over. even, yeah. And, you know, it's one of those things where as a rival, you hate to see it, but also, like, cool, that game's going to be fun yeah, again. Yeah, it's going to be a fun game um, again. And I, I don't know that I can fully buy in yet. Yeah. I don't want because to. Because there are still so many question marks. They've suffered some key injuries against Iowa State. I don't know if those guys are going to be back. A lineman went down on both sides of the ball. Yeah. Um, so we'll see. I think it's going to be a close game regardless. It's a coin toss for me right now because of home field advantage and what Kansas State has shown defensively. Because, I mean, Oklahoma State, monsters that they are, only scored 23 points. Yeah. Give me Kansas State in like a super low scoring game, like 17 to 14, something like that. I think Baylor's going to get it done. I mean, that's totally fair. I wouldn't be surprised either way by the result. Uh, Let's go to around the country, though, really quickly. Uh, Number 14, Iowa travels to number 19, Michigan. This is kind of where we get to gauge how the Big Ten stacks up this year. And with a couple games in the bag for the Big 12 already you know, playing the Big Ten, this will be interesting to kind of see. How is Michigan still ranked? that's a good question. It's I mean, Baylor one, I should be ranked over Michigan based on what they've done on the field. You would think that, but then you remember that the AP voters are just idiots. Don't they? Don't yeah, pay attention. They don't watch so, football. Um, I think Iowa wins this game yeah, I in think the big so house. Too. Frankly, yeah. I don't know that Michigan State really has a bag of anything. Shea nope. Patterson is not good. Nope. At quarterback, he is not, not good at all. I agree. Uh, Florida hosts Auburn. The top I don't 10 think matchup. Florida is good. 
I think Florida is getting the benefit of the doubt for being Florida and not having played anybody yet. Who has Auburn beaten? Nobody. Neither one of these teams are any good. In their top ten. Did you see, by the way, Heather Dinich's uh, yeah, that's projections for the playoffs the other day? They yeah, had four, four SEC, SEC teams, teams. It's not going to happen. Heather, I hate to break it to you, but that's not how this works. Yeah. That's not how any of this works. Not at all. Um, give me Auburn in that game because I like Gus Malzahn more than I like Dan Mullen. I don't really care for either of them, but I think Auburn's a better football team and they're at home. That's fair. No, Florida's at home. It's Auburn on the road. Oh, Auburn on the road. I still, I think Florida's totally overrated. I think they're almost as overrated as Michigan. That's totally fair at this point in the season. And then number four, Ohio State hosts Michigan State, who somehow is still ranked after the dumbest way to lose a football game when they lost to Arizona State a couple weeks ago. Yeah, don't worry. They won't be ranked on Monday. No, they won't because Ohio State is going to win that game by like 600 points. Thanks for giving us game day, Ohio State at Nebraska, and the final score of 300 billion to two. It's just great. Uh, and then lastly, TCU goes to Iowa State. They play in Ames at 11 o'clock on Saturday morning. If you're at the game, that's incredible. Melissa will be there. I will there. be there. I'm so excited. If you are not at the game, get your bottom to Punchbowl Social, the official watch party for all TCU road games in Fort Worth. Melissa, who do you have winning this football game? I really want to take TCU here. I think they showed us something Saturday. I think they galvanized in a way that we needed to see. But I saw them do this before SMU, too, and then totally play a clunker. Um, This is an opportunity to make a statement if you're the Horned Frogs, to go up in a tough place to play and get a win. And I think that they have have the wherewithal to get up for that and to do that. But I think that that this game is going to mean something to Iowa State, too. Uh, I hate to do this. I'm picking the Cyclones and hoping I'm wrong. I think it's going to be 17-13. It's going to be awful. I wouldn't be surprised if TCU drops this game. I wouldn't. But I also think that Darius Anderson is healthy, and they're going to find creative ways to get Jalen Rager the ball. So I'm virtually going to flip that score, and I'm going to say that TCU wins a very gross, ugly football game. 20 to 14. Which means this is going to be like 55 to 45. You know Probably. that, right? Yeah. Most definitely. Uh, Melissa, we've got to take some questions. We yeah. fielded some, some questions we got tonight. some good ones on we've there. We've got some good ones tonight. I want to chime um, in on the Dodgers. So let's go first to uh, f- uh, – well, I'm not on Facebook to pull those questions right I've now. Got so them. we're going to go to Twitter first, and we're going to go to Colin Burns, who's asking, is SMU back? Yeah. And my response is, for now – until Sonny Dykes takes another coaching job. I could see Sonny. Shane Buchel graduates. When Shane Buchel graduates, that's going to be an issue. But they've got one more year with him after this. I think they're going to win the, the AAC this year, and they're going to be even better next year. Uh, this is a team that they can do some damage and can compete for New Year's Six. But because they're SMU, they're probably going to lose two games in the middle of the season to somebody we've they never heard of. They might lose to Tulsa this week. Yeah, they could. Tulsa gave Oklahoma so, State a run for their but, but I'm rooting for them. I'm rooting for them the rest of the way for sure. I won't be doing that, but it'll be interesting to see where they end up. Daniel Livers asks, who is on your Mount Rushmore of redheaded quarterbacks, and is Andy Dalton on it? Daniel, Andy Dalton's not only on it. He's the only yeah. one on it. Max is going to get there eventually. Does Max have red hair? Yeah, he's a ginger. He's like an Andy Dalton clone. It's adorable. Uh, okay. I thought it was brown. Nope, nope. It is okay. definitely red. You've he's been closer ginger. to him than me. Yeah. Anyways, uh, another question from Daniel Livers. Is Gary Patterson on the hot seat? No. God, no. 
No, Gary, Gary, the only time he's on the hot seat is when he turned his seat warmers on in his car. It would take literal murder for yeah. Gary Patterson no. to be on the hot seat. Legitimately. And, and, and nobody should want otherwise. Mm-hmm. Like, you don't want to give people a green card the rest of their life, but he, uh, he definitely can coach here as long as he wants. And it's true. we should be glad for that because who knows who's next? Who knows? Who absolutely knows? Melissa, what are our Facebook questions? Do you think SMU and TC will keep playing every year? Or do we get a break and schedule someone else in the P5? We are not scheduling another Power 5 opponent. We've got Cal on my birthday next year, and we're pretty much booked with the Power 5s yep. for the next 30 years. Um, I think SMU and TC play game number 100, but I bet it's in Fort Worth next year. I bet that's part of the agreement. I've heard a rumor Ooh. that it's already been in the works Ooh. and that there will be a TCU-SMU game continuing on. Uh, I am disappointed in it, in that being the case. But, yes, TCU and SMU will play again, whether it's next year or in two years, I'm not sure. But they will be on the gridiron again soon. Uh, Nelson asks, can we just run with one QB? When Duggan's on the field, the offense just looks to run better. It's more exciting when Delton's on the field. Um, we're going to keep playing two QBs until there's a reason not to, and that's probably not going to happen this year. Three quarterbacks led scoring drives on Saturday. Yeah, it's true. Against Kansas. Austin Frank asks, is Art Bryles in jail yet? Basically because he's coaching at Florida State. No, Art Bryles is at Mount Vernon. Kendall Bryles is at Florida oh, State. Same thing. Uh, and I, the question was asked about both of them, and the answer is yes for both of them because one is in East Texas and one is at Florida State. Yeah, I agree. Um, it's like yeah. a really nice prison, though, where you get paid basically millions of dollars. I think we have one more question. We do, and this is from at TCU Cohen. That would be the sports information director at Texas Christian University, Hi, Mark. Mark Cohen. Hey, Mark, how are you doing? And he asks, what are your thoughts on the Dodgers bullpen? And, Mark, I went ahead and Googled who was in the Dodgers bullpen just for you, and I will tell you this. As long as you have Kenley Jansen as your closer, you will be just fine. I don't know about that. Dodgers bullpen has been a little bit up and down this season. They're likely going to have to face the Nationals team that can really rake, even without uh, what's-his-face having left. But I think that the Dodgers bullpen has historically struggled Bryce Harper in – Bryce Harper you're thinking of. Yep, Bryce, Bryce Harper I'm thinking of. Historically struggled in the postseason. And at the end of the, uh, the National Series, the Houston Astros. And the Dodgers are not getting past the Astros this year. Mark, you heard it here first. This is the year your Dodgers get over the hump. Whoa! Los Angeles Dodgers, Dallas's own Clayton Kershaw, win a World Series this year. Boom. From your lips to the Dodgers fans' ears. Mostly to Mark Cohen, though. Mostly to Mark Cohen. Shout out to Mark Cohen. Thank you for that question. And with that, this has been – that's weird grammar. But anyways, this has been the Frogs War Podcast. I'm Jamie Plunkett. I'm Liz Treepwasser. Please make sure – that you check us out on Facebook and Instagram and Twitter and, of course, all of the articles on frogswar.com. Make sure you subscribe and rate and review the Frogs War podcast on iTunes. Subscribe on Spotify or Podbean or Stitcher or everywhere else that podcasts are found. We absolutely love interacting with you on all of those mediums, so make sure that you're active there because we are. And don't forget that Punchbowl Social is the official watch party of road games for TCU football, which means that this Saturday at 11 o'clock in the morning, you can come to Punchbowl Social at 1100 Folk Street and see tons of people wearing purple, drink drinks that are purple, and watch a team in purple hopefully beat Iowa State in Ames. And this Tuesday, 
from 6 to 7, October 1st. Super Frog will be at Punchbowl Social. You can come and take your picture with him. And we will be back out here at the Texas game in October, which is uh, October um, 21st. 21st. October 21st for another live show. I'd love to have you all come out and join us. Um, you can ask us questions in person. You can heckle us and you can drink while you do it and eat great food. And that'll do it. That'll this do has been it. the Frogs World Podcast. Go Frogs. Go Frogs.